My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm thrilled to be speaking on Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. Let's go. This is the start of Holy Week. It's exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm just honored to be speaking to you guys today to lead uh, through this talk. And I'm going to kind of power through the first portion of this to get to some of the things that we need to take home with us today. But I want to paint a picture of what I believe really happened on Palm Sunday. In your Bibles, we're going to be in this uh, passage of Luke 19. You can kind of put a thumb there, bookmark that. But I think what's ironic is if you look at the passage, if you look at the scriptures, each account of Palm Sunday, it will, will state uh, above maybe a title that says the triumphal entry or, or Jesus enters Jerusalem as king. It sounds like this exclamation point should be at the end of it. It's absolutely incredible. It's exciting. It seems like something huge is about to happen. I want to give some context, too, to what Palm Sunday is, where we get that idea of the palms. We, obviously, being in South Florida, are very familiar with palm fronds. Anybody in this place, like, I'm so tired of picking them up. I don't know how they multiply so fast. They're like rabbits. They just have, I don't know what is happening. Like, there's palm fronds everywhere. So we're familiar with those. But what would happen uh, to contrast what the Roman government would do when their, their Caesar, their king, would come back from war, from a military conquest, from absolutely decimating a place, total victory. What would happen is the, the Caesar would march into the city with his entourage. This was a big deal. Think trumpets. Think the, the, the band was out. The people of that time would just crowd the city center to see their conquering king come home. The idea of the palm fronds, it was actually a, a symbol of victory, of wealth, health, prosperity. It was a symbol of, of total victory. Like they, the people would lay them on the road. Some would hold them in their hands and wave them back and forth as their king would come through the city, acknowledging that we were victorious. I think what's interesting, too, about uh, the Romans back in this time, because they were the ones that had really conquered Israel, uh, much of the Middle East at this point they had occupied, that the Jews had actually adopted this ancient practice of the palms uh, from ancient times. This is seen all throughout history, this idea of the palms being this sign of victory. To contrast as well, because we're going to read in just a minute, we're going to power through that passage to see what exactly happened on Palm Sunday. Uh, Caesar would come in on his war horse. If you don't know anything about war horses, these were large, large animals. These actually were bred specifically for this purpose uh, of war. To have the Caesar uh, ride on his war horse was significant uh, because, again, it, it symbolized the conquest, the victory that they had achieved. His war horse also would have been bred to be the largest in the kingdom. They would have found the largest horse for Caesar because he was supposed to be head and shoulders above the rest of the people. Again, showing his prominence, showing his dominance, showing the kinghood that he held. So he would be head and shoulders above people. If you wanted to compare, think of uh, the modern day draft horse. Uh, and if you're like, what is a draft horse? Think of the Budweiser commercials, okay? Someone just woke up because I said Budweiser. They're like, what? he's talking about Budweiser? This is awesome. In church? Boyton, are you with me? Boyton's over there. Church at home. People just woke up. Think of these massive, massive animals. I mean, the, the whole idea of Palm Sunday, this would have been a spectacle as far as the Romans were concerned. It would have been an absolute blowout celebration. 
But to contrast, I want to maybe paint a different picture of what had happened on Palm Sunday because we read those titles in our scriptures and we see the triumphal entry. But I actually think it was a little more lackluster than we might think. I'm not trying to uh, like downgrade it. I'm not trying to poke fun at it. I just want you to see the comparison of our great Savior and King compared to the conquerors and the kings of that time. So let me paint a picture before we dive into the actual scripture of it. The Jews had been waiting for this moment for over 400 years. I think we need to put that into context to understand the history of these people. Before Jesus came on the scene, uh, there's what we, what we know is like a biblical silence from God. I don't believe he was uh, actually silent all that time. I believe he was still speaking to people. But the biblical narrative that we have from the Old to the New Testament There's about a 400-year span there. 400 years is a long time. Anyone know that? 400 years is a very, very long time to be in, quote-unquote, silence from God. 400 years they had just been longing and waiting for the Messiah. I don't know about you, but I think that I would probably get discouraged waiting 400 years. I can barely wait four minutes in Starbucks for my drink. You know what I'm saying? It's first-world problems. I get it. Don't judge me. 400 years. Finally, Jesus is born and he is raised, launches into ministry, and gains this decent-sized following. But we know as his ministry went on and as he said harder things and there was truth that he needed to convey, the crowds kind of dissipated a little bit. So I think we read Palm Sunday as this triumphal entry, but I'm not sure how many people were actually in the city center to see him. They said crowds had gathered, but we know from the biblical narrative that people had started to drop off his followings. There was a cancel culture back then. People had canceled Jesus a bit. He started to say difficult things. He started to step on some toes. He started to confront people with truth, and they fell away. But can you imagine this crowd? These were dedicated Uh, believers hopefully uh, seeing what they would now recognize as their king and they're shouting Hosanna save us save us Uh, correct or more correct translation would have been save us now like in the immediate what the Jews were actually looking for was a conquering king that was going to come in and overthrow Rome and so we I think kind of spiritualized the Hosanna save us but I think most of the people in that crowd were looking for an immediate relief from the Roman tyranny but Jesus was coming to bring a permanent solution to their sin but they didn't get it they didn't get it so so follow me with the story are you guys with me are you in there are you in the room are you dialed in here So, boy, and I hope the same church at home. Because I want you to get a a mental picture of what I believe really happened on Palm Sunday. So, So the followers, the crowd had gathered. And it says... uh, they were laying the palm fronds and their, even some of their like outer cloaks, their, their, their overshirt, their jacket, think of. They were laying in on the ground prepping for the king. And you'll see this throughout the narrative that he's actually going to come down from the Mount of Olives. So he's coming down the mount and people would have been able to see him from that point or, or kind of make out a crowd coming down from the Mount of Olives. There's a little bit of a journey into Jerusalem. 
And the crowd is gathered, the anticipation's building. It's his people, even as they've seen him kind of from afar, begin to praise and begin to, they're so excited to see their conquering king. What's he gonna look like? What's this gonna be like? Where's the war horse? We're excited. Let's overthrow Rome. Let's get out of our current situation. And then the crowd is bustling, the energy's building and building and building. And they see the crowd, but they can't really see Jesus. Because the crowd enters Jerusalem, and I can just see this in my mind's eye. The crowd parts just the littlest bit, and they see their conquering king riding on a baby donkey. You've got to get this picture in your mind. Some, some scholars and theologians, because we know it's the cult of a donkey. We know this thing's a baby donkey. You know donkeys aren't a very large animal, right? Their babies are small. My parents actually up in New York. If you guys are watching, Mom and Dad, I love you guys so much. Uh, they actually have a few miniature donkeys. Those things are tiny, tiny. But a donkey is not a big animal. Some scholars believe that Jesus' feet were probably dragging on the, on the floor as this donkey's riding. Like, you have to get in, this into your mind. That the triumphal entry might have been a little bit of a letdown for the people. Because how many of you know Jesus wasn't always the king that they wanted, but he was the king that they needed? How many times in our lives have we seen that to be true? He's not always the king that I want, but he is always the king that I need. He always knows what's best. And so I have to imagine in this moment, my king knows what's best in the crowd parts. And in each one of the narratives, there's not a lot that follows that moment. Because <laughs> he's not riding on this big war horse and he's not shouting at Rome and letting them know what's up and letting them know, hey, we're overthrowing this whole thing. A meek, humble savior with a meek, humble entry. A grown man, a carpenter. Jesus probably was a decent-sized man, and he is riding on a baby donkey. And that's his triumphal entry. <laughs> we see a couple other characters in the story. We see the crowd, and then we also see the Pharisees. Pharisees always show up. By the way, anything, anytime God's doing something good, you always know that there's opposition there, right? How many of you know that in your lives over at Boyd? How many of you know when, when you start making right steps in your life, there's always opposition there? So there's the crowd that's anticipating. There's the Pharisees that are kind of doubting. We're going to see that in a minute. And what I want you to do, church, so badly on this Palm Sunday is find yourself in the story. I think it's so important that we find ourselves in the story. There's those three options that I just gave. I think you could be the anxious crowd awaiting his arrival. Some of you might identify like that today because you're like, man, I don't know if I've actually met Jesus personally, and, and I'm kind of anxious to meet him. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling this whole thing out. I'm checking out church. I haven't maybe had that personal encounter yet, but I, I want to know what this Savior looks like. I'm just checking out church. I'm here. I'm kind of a little anxious, to be honest with you. I'm not sure how it's going to go. You could also maybe identify as, as the Pharisee. Maybe some of you come in here, you were kind of dragged to church today. Uh, you're, you're doubting the whole thing. The Pharisees actually, as we're going to read in a moment, uh, they, they hear the crowd kind of bustling and, and, and excited. And, and, and the Pharisees tell Jesus, hey, would you shut your followers up a little bit? This is causing a scene. The Pharisees, 
are down the whole thing. They don't want this thing to get out of hand. Here's, here's the Savior. Here's the big triumphal entry is a guy, a carpenter's son on a donkey, a baby donkey at that. Like you got to see kind of how silly this scene is. We understand through scripture that Jesus is actually riding on the donkey to fulfill prophecy, which is so awesome, by the way. Hundreds of years prior, there's a prophecy foretold, daughter of Zion, or what, what that was really saying. It's people of Israel, your king is going to come riding on a donkey. The donkey was necessary. But you have to imagine after 400 years, your, your memory gets a little bit foggy. The story might get twisted. It even says in scripture, the disciples didn't even connect those dots until after he had risen from the dead. That, oh, that's right, remember? The Messiah, the king, was actually going to come on a donkey's colt. I love this story so much because I believe we have so much to learn from it. I actually want to read through the account of this scripture, and then we're going to take away some things from this scripture today. But the title of our message, if you want to write this down today, if you're taking notes, is this. Because I said that there was three kind of characters in the story we want to identify with. Some of us are the anxious crowd, we actually need to meet Jesus. We actually need to have a personal encounter with him. Some could be the Pharisee. And here's what I would say to you. If you're doubting, if you're, if you're questioning all of this, Jesus is big enough to carry those doubts. He, he's big enough to take them. In fact, one of his disciples was a doubter. His name's Doubting Thomas. It's all right. <laughs> you can have some doubts and some questions. But the third character in the story that I really want to focus in on is the donkey. <laughs> because I believe as believers we're called to be the donkey. Look at your neighbor, tell him you're just a donkey. All right, be kind about it, all right? Over at Boyan, some of you are like, I'm not saying that. Don't say the other thing for donkey, all right? I had a ton of jokes today. Last time I preached, I had a vasectomy joke, so I really got to keep it, you know, like, I really got to keep it. Under wraps today, okay, I, I, gotta be, I gotta be good up here. Pastor Scott told me to, okay? <laughs> there were so many jokes, by the way, I could have put into this one. This is a really, really good one, but. <laughs> it's a slow fade. You guys are getting it now. Yeah, 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 all right. Just watch yourselves, okay? Behave. This is in Luke 19. This is gonna be up on the screen for you. Let's read this together. I, again, I wanna kind of power through this so you get some context for the story. And then we're gonna learn from a donkey. And the title of my message today is this. It's learning to carry a king. Learning to carry a king. Let's read in Luke. This is 19, verse 28. It says, and after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached, approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, that seems like a good question to ask, right? These guys are stealing a donkey, essentially. Jesus says, hey, they're going to ask you about it. Tell them the Lord needs it. I love Jesus. There's no other explanation for that. Could you imagine a couple scraggly bearded dudes walking up to your house and be like, hey, we need your car. Why? Uh, Jesus needs it. <laughs> They're like, what? The Lord? I mean, again, read your Bibles. It's a fun book. Like, you got to read it in context. They're like, nothing else, Jesus. You really don't want them to, to tell anything else. Like, you don't have a greater explanation that you're the Messiah. You're going to save the whole world. Nope. Just tell them the Lord needs it. Simple, really, really simple. 
Those who were sent ahead, they went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Isn't this amazing? Jesus has this prophetic insight and says, hey, this is what you're going to encounter. Be ready to answer this guy's question. They replied, the Lord needs it. That's it. Apparently that was good enough for this guy. <laughs> There's some faith right there. I don't know. I, I, I can imagine that exchange was so much more awkward. But anyway, verse 35, they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks onto the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. There's the Pharisees. They show up. I love this. Man, I could preach a whole message on, on verse 40. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Whoo! We, we, could, we could go there. Maybe that's for another week. Here's what I want to look at, though. This, is a, this message is entitled Learning to Carry a King. I think we have so much to learn from this little donkey, and I think we need to remember we are the donkey always. We are the donkey. We've been called to carry the king. The first thing I have for you is this. If we're going to carry a king, if we're going to learn how to carry a king, we need to be available. Look at your neighbor. Tell them you got to be available. You have to be available. Look at the story again. This is verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went ahead and they found it just as he had told them. There's the donkey. He, he's, he's just available. If you're from upstate New York, you say available. We have that hard A. I'm sorry. I, I got to train myself to say it again. Available. And I started to read this church and I began to be so convicted. Are you available for him to use? The little donkey was available. He was just there. Like, like, this one got me. I, I had to let the conviction settle in a little bit. Some of us are just too busy for God. Not this little guy. Some of us just have, oh, it's just too much. It's a jam-packed schedule, Lord. Not today, not now. You don't see any of that from the donkey or even his owner. The donkey was just available. And what I love about the donkey, you've got to see this. The owner says, the Lord needs it. The owner says, the Lord has need of it. What I think is so awesome about the donkey, it's a very unlikely candidate to be chosen for this role, but Jesus needed it. And can you hear as a Christ follower this morning or over at Boyner on, online, Jesus actually needs you. Now, that sounds contradictory to, hey, if you're quiet, the stones will cry out 100%. But do you know that you are plan A and there's no plan B for God? You are, you are called to carry Jesus to this world. It's you. Jesus is also fulfilling prophecy here. He needed this donkey. I, I want you to know that you're needed and desired by your Savior. Some, some people are like, no, he, he just can't use me. He just, no, like, I, I'm, I'm kind of disqualified myself. No, I'm, I don't fit the bill. Exactly. The donkey didn't fit the bill either. Are you hearing me today? He was an unlikely candidate. Because God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. You might not fit the bill, 
perfect. God can use you. Look at the disciples. These guys definitely did not fit the bill and everyone around them knew it. Yet Jesus was using them to work mighty miracles, signs and wonders. These guys were changing the world around them and they were goofballs. That's the point. (laughs) The donkey, the donkey was the unlikely candidate. He's not the ideal animal for the job. In fact, the scripture told us, I don't know if you caught that, the donkey had never been ridden before. <laughs> all right, all right. Paint a better picture. This was a bumpy ride, I think, for Jesus, all right? It's, <laughs> I should have brought one of those little play horses out here because I think it, it says the disciples had to kind of put him on the donkey. <laughs> and I think they were by his side almost the whole time because I do not think that this was a pleasant trip. I bet the donkey was bucking and kicking. How how many of you, Jesus, has tried to kind of enter into your life and you've tried to carry him, but you feel like you're bucking and kicking a little bit? Feel like you might be resisting what he wants to do. The donkey was an unlikely candidate, but I want you to hear this, church. That's exactly why he chose him. I was sitting recently with our, our motorcycle enthusiast small group. They meet here on Tuesday nights. I love these guys. And, and, and they're kind of a rough and tumble group. And I absolutely love that. I looked at them the other day and I said, because one of them was kind of beating himself up about like, man, I haven't been in church too long. Don't really know how to pray. It's kind of awkward when I do these things that feel spiritual. And I was like, perfect. You're the, you're the perfect candidate that God would use. And it kind of caught him off guard. And I, and I looked around that group and I said, guys, I think that this is what the disciples look like. Not only do a majority of them have great beards, number one, because <laughs> they do. There's a lot of facial hair represented in that group, trust me. But number two, they, they don't necessarily fit the bill. And Jesus looks at them and says, perfect, I'll use you to reach people that no one else can reach. Are you hearing me? Some of you guys have disqualified yourself. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're perfect. <laughs> You're perfect to reach the people that I want you to reach. I've created and designed you that way. The donkey was the unlikely candidate. Perfect. Jesus was going to use him to carry the king of the universe to the world. You cannot miss that today. You cannot miss it. You are plan B and there's, or there's, <laughs> you are plan A. There's no plan B. Excuse me. You're plan A. There's no plan B. Jesus said, yeah, the rocks would cry out. But he's called us to carry him. He's called us to bring him to the world around him. There's a couple sub points that I want to make before I move on because these were good. Like as I was prepping this, God was just revealing. Who knew you could learn so much from a little donkey? But look at this story. Closely examine. This is why I love scripture so much. It has so much to teach us and it's so fresh. I love my Bible. Here's a sub point. Jesus realized that the donkey belonged to somebody else. But he was claiming it for his purpose. Jesus prepped these guys that were going to go get the donkey. He says, I understand that it's somebody else's, but tell them the Lord needs it. I don't know if, I don't know if you're getting it. It belonged to somebody else, but Jesus was claiming it for himself. And there might be some of you in the room today that you've belonged to another master for way too long. And Jesus is calling you and saying, hey, I need you. I want you. I desire you. I need you. You, you've You've been belonging to someone else for too long. Maybe you've been your own master. 
Maybe you've allowed people-pleasing. Other people are just your mat. You're, you're so chained to that thing. Maybe you realize the enemy has just been eating your lunch for too long. And Jesus says, hey, tell them the Lord needs it. I'm, I'm claiming that thing as my own. That's subpoint one. Subpoint two is this. Oh, man, this is good. The donkey was tied up. And the people that Jesus sends go to untie it. How many of you know you can't carry a king very well into the place that he needs to go when you're all tied up? That, uh, this is like a shameless plug for our freedom groups, by the way. Where are all my freedom people at? Yeah. Over at Boyne, where are my freedom people at? Church at home. This is so significant. You cannot take Jesus where he needs to go when you're all tied up. So my question is, what's been tying you up? What, what's been holding you back? What's been, what's been keeping you back from, from serving God and, and really carrying him in the way that you should? And I'm not saying this is a condemnation. I'm not saying this is guilt or shame on you. But, but guess what? God wants to send some of the people of God to you to help set you free. To untie you from the thing that's bound you for too long. Because how many of you know you can't go into Jerusalem and carry the new king to the world who is going to save, rescue, and redeem when you're all tied up? So would you get free? And Jesus is in this place today. He can do that for you. Shameless plug to our freedom groups too. Right, Be part of one of those groups. Do the work. Dive deep into those issues that have bound you for too long. But there is freedom. There is freedom for you. The donkey got untied and did the thing that God had called him to do. A prophecy long, long foretold. And he accomplishes it. But he's got to get untied first. That was my two sub points. All right, we're going to continue to move on. This isn't going to be very long today. You guys with me? You feeling good? You into it? All right, you see it? I hope this is painting a picture in your mind, this little donkey. I hope you never forget him. He is, the, he is one of the little stars of this story. How many of you know this is that if we're going to learn to carry a king, we have to be aware of who we are carrying. We have to be aware of who we're carrying. Uh, the, the, the disciples who are sent ahead, untying the colt, the guy comes out, asks the question that Jesus knew he would ask. Why are you untying this? The Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. It's the Lord. It's so important to know who you are carrying in this world because we're called to represent him. We're called to present him to the world. So I ask this, how, how have you been carrying him? <laughs> this convicts me when I'm driving. How am I carrying Jesus when I'm driving? I know we make that joke all the time, but my journey sticker's on the back of my car, and I cut that person off, and I'm like, shoot. And then they pull up, and they're like, hey, Pastor Josh, hey. I'm like, ah, yeah, just uh, in a hurry, you know. Bringing the good news somewhere, just busy. You gotta, ah. Uh. Yelling at your kids in Walmart, that's the worst one. Someone turns the corner, hey, Pastor Josh, how was your week? I'm like, ah, bless God, it's great. A little discipline, you know, spoil the, spoil the child, you know, spare the rod, that whole thing. Spare the rod, uh, okay. But seriously, how, how are you carrying him? How are you carrying him to the world? Do you know who you're carrying? You've got to be so aware of who you're carrying. You're called to represent, to represent him to the world. And I know it's a bumpy ride sometimes. I get it. I know we don't always do it perfect. This is not like a guilt and shame moment. This is just a conviction moment. Do, do you remember who you're carrying? 
<laughs> the, the owner asks, why do you even need this? What, what is going on? And the Lord needs it. And that was enough. Because he knew his donkey was going to be carrying the new king, the Messiah. I love, I love that image. <laughs> Here's this little donkey. I just imagine him. Maybe I've watched too many cartoons in my life. But I imagine him with the, the biggest grin on his face. Tripping over his ears. He's just goofy. Jesus' feet are dragging on the ground. Like, it is just a mess. He's hobbling along. But, man, he knew who he was carrying. And I wonder if we would just ask ourselves, how, how have I been carrying my king lately? What, what does that look like at the office or school? Or maybe it looks one way here at church and it looks another way elsewhere. That was my story as a teenager. I hated the hypocrisy that I was living. And that was one of the convicting moments in my life where I was like, I'm done living in this hypocrisy because I wasn't carrying my king well outside of church. I would come in and I would do the church thing and I would put on my church face and I knew all the right churchy things to say and bless God and praise God. And I'd raise my hands and worship sometimes. I knew all the things to do. But when I would leave the doors, I wouldn't carry them well. And I remember getting to a point where I said, no, 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 that, I'm, I'm done with that. I want to carry my king well. I realize I'm just a donkey. I'm a goof sometimes. I wasn't the most likely candidate either. But I'm telling you, <laughs> something shifted in my mind and in my heart when I realized, no, I'm, what a privilege it is to carry the king. What a privilege it is to carry the king. He used his little donkeys, the not ideal candidate. He says, yeah, I'll use them. And they'll carry me to the people. The third point is this. We have to be humble. <laughs> if we're going to carry the king, we have to be humble. What I love about the story, and especially in contrast to the war horses of the time, to the Caesars of the time, the giant war horse that everyone would have seen, like, like the crowd that would have followed Caesar, would have been trumpets and this big hoopla. And here's our meek savior taking the lowest position because what he was riding on was the lowest position, if you will. It's not just the donkey, it's the donkey's colt. Are we as the people of God willing to take the lowest position? It reminds me of, of shortly before this when Jesus, the king of the universe, gets on his hands and feet and washes the disciples' dirty, disgusting feet. I don't know about you, but I hate feet. Ugh, what a task. That was actually a task for the lowest servant in the house to wash everybody's feet when they came in the door. The lowest servant would have done that. And Jesus, to just show the disciples, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. The, 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 the last shall be first and the first shall be last. It's an upside down type kingdom. I'll take the lowest position. Ah, this is convicting. And, and hear my heart in this. For the longest time, the church has had the global C church, the big C church has had uh, this 80-20 rule, they call it. That about 20% of the church does 100% of the work while 80% of the people just come and kind of soak it up and leave and they'll do that every single week. Because I think sometimes, and maybe we wouldn't say this, but we think serving is a little bit beneath us. Like in our culture of entitlement and our culture of just self-promotion and, and it's all about us and everything that we do, we're, we're kind of the center of our universe. 
Jesus takes the lowest position. The one who could have elevated himself above everybody in all things. The creator of heaven and earth got down on his hands and knees and washed feet. And he says, if, if, if you don't let me do this and show you what it looks like in the kingdom of God to really serve, he says, you have no part of me. Peter stands up. He's like, no, Jesus, you're not, you're not washing my feet. And he rebukes him. <laughs> and then Peter says, uh, you know, Peter, he never said the right thing. But he's like, uh, all right, give me a bath then. That's essentially what he says. He says, all right, give, give me all of it then. I want you to see that the donkey, <laughs> to carry a king well, he took the lowest position. I think Jesus so strategically chose a colt, this little baby donkey, to show everyone, hey, even the king of the universe can take the lowest position. And he proved that over and over and over again in his ministry. Let me ask you, church, what's stopping you from serving? This isn't some sort of plug just to serve here. I'm talking about in your lives, in your marriages, at your workplace, on your team. What does it look like to serve people? To truly love them. Because guess what? The Bible, Jesus said of himself, they're going to know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Love is action. Love is action. <laughs> I'll show you my faith through what I do, my works. The way that I love would prove that I'm his disciple. Some of us are like, dude, I don't want to hold babies over there and kids. Maybe babies aren't your thing. Where do you belong here, though, in this house? And I say that, too, because every, every major holiday that we have, we always come up to this, like, we need people to serve. And, you know, every church does it right. You guys are probably so tired of hearing us by the end of it. What if, what if we got this culture here at Journey right? And we just took the lowest position said, I don't care what I do. I mean, we, we have men in this church, some older men, who are spending their years of retirement volunteering here multiple days at the church, doing the stuff that no one would want to do, scrubbing toilets and, and, and uh, power washing sidewalks and because they get it. And I've heard one of them say before, there's nothing beneath me. There's nothing that I wouldn't do. Sign me up. Because I think, I, I think some of that gray hair has taught him over the years that if I'm going to serve in the kingdom of God, i got to do it in a humble way. I, I don't care if I take the lowest position. Sign me up. Because that's exactly what our Savior did. <laughs> we need to remember the last is first in the kingdom of God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what a greater grace than for a donkey to carry a king. Look at your neighbor tell him you're just a donkey. Be kind, be kind. You're just a donkey. Which brings me to my last point. I'm going to close and we'll get out of here. Is this. If we're going to carry a king, we have to realize the story is about Jesus and not the donkey. <laughs> Can I get a big amen to that? The story is about Jesus. It's about putting King Jesus on display. 
And we are. We're living in a world and a time of so much self-promotion. But could we be the people of God who say, I want to carry my king well. I want to represent him to the world well. And I want people to realize that the story is actually Jesus' story. I just get to play a really cool part in it. But it's his story. I'm just a little old donkey that I get to carry the king to the people. I love that I get to be part of the story, but ultimately the story is about him. Come on, boy, in church at home, Lakeworth in the room. The story is about him and him alone. And I get to be part. And it is so sweet to be part. How many of you love to be part of his story? You love being used by God. Come on. So if we're going to carry a king well, we need to do these few things. We need to be available for him to use. We've got to be aware of who we're carrying, remembering always that we're carrying the king of the universe to the world. And we've got to do it in a humble way. It's not prideful. It's not arrogant. And I think we remain humble by remembering the story is actually all about him, putting him on display. Let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Over at Boy in church at home, let me pray. As we end today on Palm Sunday, I hope I painted a decent picture of what I think this looked like for Jesus' quote-unquote triumphal entry. It just looks so much different than the people would have anticipated. But it's exactly what we needed it to be. Because he's not always the Savior that we want. He's the Savior that we need. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for being the king that we need. Father, the king of our hearts and the king of our souls, a king that would come to this earth, wrap himself in flesh as a baby, grow up to be a man who served and loved people to eventually be led to a cross, guiltless and blameless, Lord, to die for our sins. But the story didn't end there, and we cannot wait to celebrate next week that you rolled that stone away and you walked out of the grave, defeating sin and death and hell in the grave. And we praise you for that. I pray for Journey Church. I pray for the people under the sound of my voice today that would hear this message. Father, would we be people who carry you well, not just during Holy Week, not just during the next seven days, but Father, we would be people who carry you well for the rest of our lives. We would remain humble, available. God, we would have a heart to serve. We remember who we're carrying. And ultimately, Lord, we remember the story is actually yours. It's all about you. Father, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Amen.